We'll celebrate them one more time. Keep that going. Welcome all the campuses. We love you guys at all of our campus locations. You can be seated. Just want to take a moment on the front end to, to say to those of you who are worshiping with us online, uh, we consider you to be so much a part of our church. And uh, if you're not comfortable coming back yet, that is perfectly fine. We love ministering to you in this capacity. Durham campus, welcome. Garner campus, welcome. Sanford campus, welcome. Thika Town in Kenya, welcome. And lastly... Hillsboro campus today, we back starting today. Let's just celebrate Hillsboro. Love you guys, praying for you, and know that uh, God's gonna do good things there. Hey, um, we haven't taken a moment yet today to talk about the offering. You know, we, we haven't been passing a basket in a long time, um, but I did just wanna mention the offering for you, and I wanted to mention to you uh, what we do every year. It's called the Christmas Love Offering. It's the Christmas love offering. And since we're in December, it's a good time to mention it to you. You know, the Bible says in Luke 2.10, great Christmas verse, you know it well, right? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you what, church? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, we just celebrated the impact that good news can have on a person's life right there in the baptism. And uh, I just want to encourage you. I know uh, so many of you tithe and so many of you give regularly anyway. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But I want to encourage all of us at this time of the year to consider making a one-time Christmas love offering gift uh, as we finish the year. It will allow us to finish the year strong. It will allow us to continue to take care of staff. It will allow us to continue to do local missions like we've been doing so much in this season. It will allow us to continue to do international missions all of these things it will allow us to do. So I'm asking you to consider that. We do it every single year and uh, this of all years, right, would be a year that the Christmas love offering would be incredibly important to position our church to go into 2021 well. Can I get an amen? amen. Here's how you give. You've seen these slides before. You can do that on your phone. You can take out your phone right now. Text NH Movement to 77977. You can always visit us online or there are giving boxes and a giving kiosk at our campus locations. Thank you for sowing into the ministry of this church that Christ can be glorified and lifted up. I wanna to talk to you today about one of my favorite topics. This is like, for me, this is, I'm like a kid in a candy shop when I get to talk to you about hope. It's one of my all-time favorite topics. It's one of my all-time favorite words, right? It's why we named this church, what? New Hope. And if I know one thing about every single person who is engaging this message right now, it's that we are all hopers. We're hopers. The person to your right is a hoper. The person to your left is a hoper. Front, behind you, the person on the stage right now is a hoper. Now, I understand sometimes our hope can start to dwindle, and I'll talk about that. But we are by nature, God has hardwired us to be hopers. Think about it. When you were a little kid, you couldn't wait for Christmas. You were hoping for Christmas and the magic of Christmas Day. When you were a little kid, you couldn't wait to get to school. Not so much elementary school, but as you started to grow, you couldn't wait. You were hoping eagerly to get to middle school, right? And then high school. 
And then some of us hoped to get to college and we went to college and, and then we, we were hoping for that first home that we could buy, right? And then we're hoping maybe to get married one day and then when we get finished with that, we start hoping that we'll have children and then before long, we're hoping that the children will get out of the house. <laughs> and then we just hope and we hope and we hope. As long as we live, we long for hope. And the moment we start to lose hope is the moment that we start to die. There are a lot of things I don't know about you, but here's what I do know about you. Whether you're at a campus or online, you are a hoper. And 2020 might have started to take its toll on your hope. And that is why I am hopeful that this message will really resonate with you. Because you see, the truth is, ancient Israel had hard times as well, particularly right before Christmas. I don't know if you've ever really studied church history. I know so many of you have. But there is this period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the intertestinal period. It's, it's an era where historians and scholars call it the darkest era ever in the history of humanity. And you might be thinking, well, they didn't live in 2020. I don't know, maybe not. But biblically speaking, it was a period of darkness. You see, prophets were no longer prophesying. Preachers were no longer preaching. God could not be found. The people felt like God was not moving. It was a dark period. And it was into that dark era that the prophet Micah said these words. Why don't you read this out loud with me? Ready? Go. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Like you, maybe, and like me, definitely. In this period, right before Christmas, they were holding on to hope. And they felt like they were dangling by a thread, but they would not let go of hope. And it is into this setting that prophets like Isaiah and Micah started to prophesy that an ultimate hope was coming. The birth of hope was about to come. And you know they had to wonder, is this a solid prophecy? Is this a solid prophetic prediction? Or is this just a farce? And Paul would pick up on, if you're going to open up your Bibles to anywhere, go ahead and open them up to Romans 8. We'll, we'll hearken back to some Old Testament in the message, but Romans 8 is where we are camping out. I hope you bring your Bibles to church. Romans 8, 24, look at what the word says. Let's read it out loud. Go, in this hope we were, one more time, out loud like you mean it, right? In this hope we were saved. You see, church, hope is the conviction that because God has invaded the world in the person of Jesus, that the best is yet to come for his people, regardless of what circumstances we face. Let me say that again. Hope is the conviction that because God invaded planet earth with Jesus 2,000 years ago, regardless of what we go through today, we can live with the conviction that the best is yet to come for this sorry, skin, sin-scarred world and the lives that we live. 
Paul would pick it up and, and he would say this. If there was one verse I just really want you to consider placing to memory, it would be this verse. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Is that not a verse for 2020? I consider that our what church? Present sufferings, and this is where it gets good though, are not even worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed in us. You see, Paul knew about suffering. We sometimes think we're the only ones. Write this down, go study this later. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Paul knew about suffering. I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. Paul says, I've worked harder than, than any of you slackers. That's not in the scripture, the slackers part, right? He says, I've been in prison more too. Paul was proud of it. I've been to prison more than you guys. Then he, then he says this, I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. If you're a mathematician, that's 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not that kind of stoned. <laughs> Pelted with rocks, right? He goes, once I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and the day in the open sea. He said, I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my fellow Jews, and danger from Gentiles. I've been cold. I've been naked, right? He says, I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've been with food. I've been without food. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure and the concern that I have for all of the churches. And yet... Paul says, I consider our present sufferings not even worthy to be compared to the great glory that we will experience one day. I know we have it hard in 2020, but I think Paul would say, you guys ain't seen anything. It was a hard time for Paul. Uh, there's a book by Ken Davis that I read and Ken tells the story. I, I don't know why I like this story so much. It might I don't know why. Uh, you'll see when the end, you can come up with your own conclusion. Ken Davis tells a story that a woman was sitting in her house and she was looking outside her window and she saw her German shepherd just devouring a little white rabbit. It's terrible. And so she realized, ah, that's the neighbor's rabbit. And they had been quarreling. The neighbors have been going back and forth and arguing about things. And she looks out the window and her German shepherd has the white rabbit that belongs to the neighbor that she's been quarreling with. And the German shepherd is just tearing it up. So she grabs a broom and she runs outside and she starts pummeling her dog. And she finally gets the dog to let go of the rabbit. And sure enough, the rabbit is dead as a doornail. And so she didn't know what she was going to do, so she had this idea. She, she picked up the dead rabbit with the broom, and she carried it inside her house, and she put it in the bathtub, and she turned on the water, and she washed off this white, dead rabbit. And then she had this another idea. She took out the blow dryer, and she started blow drying the rabbit, and she fluffed the rabbit up. And then she had this idea. Hey, if I take it back over there tonight, they won't know that our dog did this. So nightfall came and she slips across her front yard and into their backyard where the rabbit cage is and she opens up the rabbit cage and she props up the dead. <laughs> Again, I told y'all know why I like this story so much. The dead washed, fluffed up rabbit. She puts it in the cage. About two hours later, her neighbor starts yelling, ah! 
She goes out to the fence and her neighbor comes to the fence and she goes, a rabbit, it's back. It died two weeks ago and we buried, but it's back. (laughs) See, you're a lot like me. You like the story too. And Ken goes on to say in this book, he says, that rabbit is a lot like many of us. We're puffed up, we're fluffed up, we're, we're propped up and we, we act like we're okay on the outside but the truth is we're dead on the inside. The truth is we've lost hope. And I wanna tell you right here today, listen, the moment we lose hope, at least permanently, we're as good as dead. And Paul is coming to us on this first Sunday of this good news series and he's telling us, listen, 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 hope is alive and if you're saved and if you know Christ, you can live in the darkest of times with a robust hope where you're not just fluffed up on the outside, hey, I'm good, I'm good, and the truth is you're dying on the inside, but you can actually live with a deep-seated hope in these difficult days. Now, Paul gives us a word today that, that will help us in times like this. And the word is groaning. Groaning. It's not a word that we use a lot these days, but it's a powerful word when you start to lock into it. And I don't know how you felt about 2020, but to me, 2020 is <laughs> one big groan. Look at what Paul says here in Romans 8:22. The whole of creation has been, what is it, church? groaning from the fall right up to this present time. I wonder today, come on, indulge me for a moment. I wonder today if we can just, just, it's therapeutic. If we can just together all on the count of three, just groan. Really? One, two, three. Mm, That's all right. Maybe if I tell you what Paul says after this, it'll help you. Paul said women will get this more than men. Paul says this groaning as in childbirth. Mm. I can't relate, women. I've been up close to it four times. Once was was a set of twins, as you know. And I gotta tell you, I wasn't even the one giving birth, but I was groaning. Let's try it again. Come on, let's try it again. That was was okay. We got about a C minus. I want you to feel it. Groans gotta come from deep, Within, you feel it, ready? All of our campuses, I, want, I just want a loud groan to be lifted up to heaven. One, two, three. Mm. Mm. Paul says groaning is healthy, right? Paul says that, that when we get to these times, there are times when the suffering is so bad that all we can do is groan. It's striking to me that Paul includes himself and his brothers and sisters in Rome amongst the groaners. The apostle Paul was a groaner, right? Sometimes people think that when you become a Christian, you're exempt from hard times, right? We think, you know what? Uh, My job ought to always go well. Or we think my relationship should always be fulfilling or my, or my work should be meaningful or my stewardship should be rewarded or my children should always be well behaved. And Paul doesn't promise that. What Paul says is this, we ourselves, even though we have the first fruits of the spirit, we are among the groaners. 
Romans 8, 23. In other words, we get fired. We get sick. We get dumped, right? We get hurt. And Paul says that having the spirit of God doesn't exempt us from those things, but he gives us this powerful concept of groaning. And he says having the spirit doesn't eliminate that. But he says this in Romans 8, 23. Now, if you got your Bibles out or something to write on, circle these two sets of words. It's really, really good. He says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, watch this, with inextinguishable perseverance for the adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. I love the use of those words. Everybody say groan inwardly. Everybody say wait eagerly. One more time, groan inwardly, wait eagerly. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for someone or something to do something great. And we know that we serve a God who majors in redeeming suffering and hard times. And so like the apostle Paul, we hold fast to hope. We clinch it. We don't let go. Dallas Willard, who is a great author and a great theologian, probably one of my favorites of all times. He, he says this, hope was not well regarded by the Greco-Roman world. One of the remarkable changes brought on by Jesus and his people into the ancient world, watch this, concerned the elevation of hope into a primary virtue. Hey, how's your hope today? How's your hope tank? Is it full? Praise God. As I talk to people, I don't find a lot of people with their tanks full of hope these days. Three quarters of a tank, half quarter, empty. This message is about instilling within us. God's word is longing to instill within us. Christmas rolls around year after year. And I think this is one of the main purposes of Christmas. It's to have hope born again in our hearts. Hope instilled once again. It's the birth of hope. It's the belief that God, the same God who came the first time, will redeem, will save, will forgive, will give purpose, will give meaning, and better days are ahead. It's the birth of hope. So as I wrap up today, let me just, let me just talk to you about three habits, three habits that hopers cultivate Three habits that hopers cultivate. Number one, hopers learn to let anxious feelings prompt them to pray, even groan to God. Did you hear me? Hopers learn to let anxious feelings, and it's been an anxious year, right? Remember the series we did in the very beginning of this, Anxious for Nothing? Philippians 4, go back and read it, right? Powerful passage of scripture. But there, there are usually two kinds of people. I know this is broad stroking, but I find this usually to be the case. There are people who, who have anxiety and they, they never think to stop and pray about it and they just continue to live in anxiety. 
and their anxiety gets worse and worse and worse. And then there are those people who learn that in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the suffering, I am going to pray. Even, here it is, groan. Mm. Mm. Oh God. Sometimes that's what I'm praying, just oh God. Oh God help us. They learn to pray and even groan to God. It's the difference between an alarm and chronic anxiety. Stick with me. Alarm versus chronic anxiety. How many of you got up to an alarm clock today? Come on, show of hands. How many of you got up to an alarm clock? You ever thought about this? I was thinking about this in preparing the message. Why do we call it an alarm clock? That is a very uh, negative, alarming name for an alarm clock. Why don't we call it opportunity clock? You ever thought about this? Or resurrection clock. That'd be a great name for a clock. Resurrection clock, right? But when your alarm clock goes off, what do we normally do? Some of you people sleep right on through it. But how, what do most of us do? We either, we either get up or we snooze that bad boy. We grab that next nine minutes, right? Imagine if, you, imagine if your alarm clock went off tomorrow and you didn't turn it off and you didn't snooze it. You just carried it around with you all day long and it just kept making that aggravating noise. When you went to work, right, and you had your alarm clock with you and that bad boy was still going off, right? You went to dinner that night. You went into a restaurant. Remember, remember those eating out in restaurants? Remember those? And you went into the restaurant and you had your alarm clock on there, right? That, that is what some of us do. We, we carry it around, Moment by moment, hour by hour, all day long, the anxiety, the alarm keeps going off. And some people, unfortunately, never turn it off. Hey, here's the way you turn it off. You pray and you groan to God. Sometimes if you you can't even get words, you just groan to God. Throughout the day, you can be walking around, you can be driving, you you just pray and you groan to your father who loves you. Secondly, hopers learn to become crystal clear about what they're in control of and what God is in control of. This is big. Hopers learn to become crystal clear about what they're in control of and what God is in control of. And can I just say that if 2020 has taught us anything, let me make it personal. If 2020 has taught me anything, it has taught me that I am in control of very little. Now for you control freaks, that's bad news. Any control freaks in the house? Anybody wanna confess? Ooh, lots of confession today, I love it. 2020 has taught us We are in control of very little. And so since that is the case, even though we try to hide it and we try to stiff arm it and we try to act like it is not true, part of being a mature hoper and walking in the faith and growing, by the way, I believe that's what 2020 is all about. One day, believe it or not, one day we're gonna look back on 2020 and we're gonna thank God. Because in the midst of this season, God is shaping us. God is refining us. Many people will miss it, but I don't believe you're gonna miss it. You're here, you're leaning in, or you're online. And followers who know Christ and journey through hard times, they learn 
to, to put to memory and live out scriptures like this, Matthew 6, 27, where Jesus says, come on church, everybody together, short verse, words of Jesus, ready, go. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, all that stuff that you're worrying about, number one, you can't control it. So learn to let go. Learn to trust me. Learn to know that I am fully in control. Any, any bowlers in the house? I know that's not a popular sport for many of us, but like any bowlers, any bowlers, come on, own it if you're, I, I like to bowl. I like to bowl. I'm not that good of a bowler, but, but I, like, I like to get together with a bunch of friends and go bowling. Have you ever noticed when people bowl, they, they, they get ready, right? And have you ever noticed when, once they bowl and, and the ball comes out of their hand, you ever notice how they try to steer it with their bodies? They start trying to do, the body starts contorting and they start trying to, to control it. And I've always thought that's kind of funny. Your body motions and your yelling and your hand motions and the way out, it's not doing a lick of good. <laughs> the ball has already left you, beloved. Right Now, you can, you can work on your stance, right? You can work on bending your knees. You can work on your stride. I've never been, I've always wanted to be one of those people who put that awesome spin on that ball. I just go wide open straight toward the middle, baby. But, but you, you, can, you can work on all that other stuff. But listen, once you let go of the ball, you gotta let go. And I believe some of you came here today and what you need to hear more than anything is in the month of December and as we step into 2021, you need to let go of some stuff. You need to realize it's already left you and you need to let go. If it involves people, yes, you love them, but you might need to let go. Some of us really need to work on, what was that children's blockbuster a few years ago? I think it was Frozen. Let it go. Let it go. I don't know what it says after that. That's all I remember. I'm sure it was a great lyric after that. Some of us need to practice frozen. Let it go. Let it go and trust God. Third and final point of application. Very important. Hopers learn to make a really wise choice about where they put their ultimate hope. See, I'm talking to you about letting go of some things, right? I'm talking to you about doing away with anxiety. I'm talking to you about the birth of hope. The good news of Christmas is the birth of hope. There are some things for which many of us need to let go, amen? But check it out. There's something that we need to hold tightly to. Hopers learn to make a really wise choice about where they put their ultimate hope. And that hope is in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the anchor in the midst of the storm. He is the one, regardless of what comes, come hell or high water, I'm gonna hold on to the anchor of Jesus. He is my source of hope. He is my source of strength. He is my source of power. And he is the only one that can get me through the hard times in life. Come on now. Romans 5, 5, there is a hope 
that does not disappoint. Say it with me. There is a hope that does not disappoint. And that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. There's a... Um, there's a story, and I hesitated to tell it to you because so many of you have heard it so many times before. Um, I've even shared it a few times in, in 19 years. Uh, but if you're a Christian and you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this story. But it doesn't change the power of the story. And as the story goes, true story, I even know, know a woman that I buried at, at a church out near the Swepsonville, Saxbahal area who had heard this story and asked for the same thing. Um, basically, the original story is that a woman got diagnosed with cancer. And the prognosis was not good. And the doctor told her that she should start preparing, you know, for passing and get her, her life in order with her children and such. And so she called the pastor and the pastor came and, and they were sitting by the bedside and they were talking about the, the, the funeral service and what song she wanted sung and she wanted her old Bible put in the casket with her. And as the pastor started to wrap up with the, the woman, she, she said, hey, one more thing before you leave, pastor. She said, I, I'd like for you to put a fork in the casket with me. Just put a fork right in my right hand. And the pastor said, what? what okay, okay, but could you tell me why? She goes, yeah, because, because growing up, uh, even as a kid and even into adulthood, I always liked that moment after the dinner was gone and they would come to the table, a waiter or a waitress, or her, she was talking mainly fellowship dinners in the church, people would grab the, the plate and they would say, keep the fork. And she said, I always knew when they said, keep the fork, that the best was coming. Always, I'm not talking about jello, she said. She said, I always knew that, that the banana pudding or the chocolate cake or whatever the case may be. She goes, I, I love, that was my favorite part of the meal when they said, keep the fork. And she said, I want you to put a fork in my hand so that when people come to my funeral and they come by and they view my body, if any of them ask, Pastor, what in the world is up with the fork? You let them know that if they are in Christ, regardless of what they go through, they can rest assured that the best is yet to come. <laughs> Come on, that, that is the message of Christmas. That is the God that we serve, that he has given us a living hope, a birth of hope, that regardless of how hard 2020 has been or how hard 2020 will be, 2021, people of faith can rest. Often let go. And no, I'm not in control. And the truth is, that's really good news. And the better truth is that I know someone who is in control. And he majors in redeeming bad situations. He majors in letting our present sufferings not even compare to the ultimate glory that will be revealed in Jesus Christ. He majors in assuring his people that the best is yet to come. So keep the fork, church. Keep the fork and remember God's got this. And Christmas, the good news of Christmas, starts out letting us know that we can be a people of hope. Pray with me. All heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray with me.
Father, I know that there are many of us within the sound of my voice that really need this message. And Father, if we were honest with ourselves, we would confess that our hope tanks have started to be depleted. For many of us, God, they might have been depleted a long time ago. And we know right now, even in the midst of this prayer, that this message was for me. Father, I pray over every single person here, God, I pray that they would allow you to fill them with hope. In fact, if you're here and you're willing, I would just invite you to just open up your hands in your lap. Just turn them towards heaven. Something powerful when we get our body into response moments like this. Just cup your hands. You don't have to lift them over your head. You can if you want, but just, I'm just talking about right in your lap. And say, Lord Jesus, fill me with hope. Lord Jesus, I need you. It's been a tough year. There are many areas, God, where I'm doing okay, but there are other areas, God, where I just need you to fill me. I need this living hope that the pastor talked about today. I need that to be infused in my life. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the birth of hope. God, I give you my life today. I thank you for this season. I pray that in the midst of, of December, God, I would not get lost in the hustle and the bustle of it all or the anxiety of it all, but I would be drawn near to the birth of a Messiah, a savior of the world. And in doing so, Father God, the birth of hope would be instilled within my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Hey, maybe you're here today and you came or you logged online and you don't have that hope. It hasn't been born in you. You're not, you're not pregnant with hope, as it were. The Bible says that every single person has a chance to be born again at any point in time. And I can think of no better posture to receive the gospel than just palms lifted towards heaven. If that's you and you need Jesus today, if that's you and you desire to, to have hope born in you for the first time or maybe just born afresh and anew, pray this simple prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I am a sinner and I need you to be my savior. Thank you for coming at Christmas. Thank you for dying on a cross and being resurrected on Easter Sunday. And thank you that by believing in you, by putting my, my faith in you, I can have hope. Romans 15, 13 says that you are the God of hope. I receive you. Come into my life. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me follow you all the days. All the days till I see you face to face. And until then, oh God, I'm going to believe that hope lives and it lives in me. We pray all of this together, Lord Jesus, in your powerful name. And all of God's people set together. Come on, church. Amen.